Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Chef. Huh? There's carne asada. Check it out. Wow. Chef Big Dog up all night cooking. Shut up and taste this. Some amuse douche. Come here, guy. Look at that. You like it? Yeah. yeah. We're going to cook like this. We're being reviewed by the most important critic in the city. Now suddenly you're going to be an artist. Well, be an artist on your own time. It's my restaurant. The kitchen is my domain. That was our deal. The deal is now changed. Either you stay or you go. So you're threatening to fire me now? No, I'm telling you what I'm prepared to do if you don't cook my menu. It's up, it's up, Good. the review's out. His dramatic weight gain can only be explained by the fact that he must be eating all the food sent back to the kitchen. I didn't like what they wrote about you. I didn't like it either. Who cares? I do, because I could have done better. I should have cooked food that I was gonna cook. There are chefs that cook food that they believe in, and people will try because they're open to a new experience and they'll end up liking it. Hey, 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 what are you doing? This don't guy. do it. What are, you, what are you writing? Chef, don't. That's not a good Actually, idea. I, just listen. I won't send it until we all say it's okay. Why don't you come by again tonight? I got a whole new menu just for you, asshole. Oh, no, no. That's I mean, not good. Give me the phone. Give me the phone. Don't do it. That's out there now, this bro. This happens. Why would you do you that? You can't take that back. Dad, did you post anything since last night? You gotta be kidding me. Wow. You realize how many people have read this? You're trending, bro. You're never going to be happy cooking for someone else. Food truck's a great idea. We're talking about a white-on-white, 88 Chevy Grumman food truck. It's a blank canvas for your dreams. I'm gonna have him pull it around. Thank you. Don't thank me till you see it. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna laugh. Tony, Carl's got a taco truck. For real? <laughs> I was so jealous when I heard your voice. I was like, that's what I want to do. I get to touch people's lives with what I do, and I love it. And I want to share this with you. What are you doing? Dude, I'm putting a little cornstarch on my huevos, man. It's too humid down here. Dad, wake up. Tom's putting cornstarch on his balls. You want some? It's like baby powder. It's nice, right? Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from Screen Crush, Mike Ryan, and tonight's guest, John Favreau. Uh, uh, before we start, uh, first thing I want to say is um, when, when I was a little kid with the name Mike, it was always the life serial guy, you know? Yeah, sure, And then sure. Uh, that went away. Then college, it was the, uh, who's the big winner? So thank, Mike from Swingers. Thank, thank, oh, good. Thank, thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, does everyone get a good idea of what the movie's about? It's, he, he's, 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 he's playing, obviously, a chef, but uh, a very popular chef, an indie chef, uh, who critics loved. Then he goes on to uh, be a big-time chef at a, at a very popular restaurant, that, and, uh, but, he, but the critics don't like you as much, and you want to get into your deeper indie mode again. Um, I feel you have something to say with this. It, 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 well, I did start off you know, making little movies, and this is my first time doing uh, uh, whatever quadruple duty in a long time. Uh, 
And working at this budget level, it, it gave me a lot of freedom that I haven't had in the bigger movies lately. So it was really fun to return back to my roots in that respect. Uh, and I do think that there's a lot of comparison between the world of, you know, of, of all creative fields. But I think chefs have an even more romantic uh, persona than, than filmmakers because they, they seem to be less equipped to deal with all the challenges that come with mixing art and commerce. In the movie, um, you actually, there, 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 there's a critic played by Oliver Platt who you say he has it out for me. Have you actually had a critic that, that one specific person who's had it out for you that you think? I've been pretty lucky, honestly, okay. with the I don't critics. know anyone. I I've think if anything, that. they've been uh, very, very kind to me and read a lot of things into my work that I didn't necessarily uh, intend and uh, to my benefit. Uh, and I, I've been, I actually like critics. I like reading what they have to say. I learn a lot from them. Uh, Do you want to tweet at them? Uh-huh, tweet at them. Do you yeah. want to tweet at them like this guy? No, I like I like you know it. the 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 whole paradigm of a of the food critic is like if you make a movie about a chef, you got to have the critic. That's like the puppet show. The good guys, the chef, like Ratatouille, you know. And uh, and Adam Platt is Oliver Platt's brother, who's a who's a famous food critic. So he really brought a lot to uh, a lot of perspective to that, a lot of humanity to the role. And Oliver's a great great actor. Uh, and uh, and so it's it's more about a guy frustrated by the fact that he's not doing his best work and there's a guy that it turns out really has insight who points that out and I think that's what's more frustrating for the guy that I'm playing rather than the guys being mean to him not that I I feel this way or anything like that but did you ever feel like I'm not doing my best work and that's why you want to go back to indie filmmaking um I, li I like the big ones I'm gonna do a big one after this I'm gonna do Jungle Book uh, unlike with a, with a chef, a chef, if you're in a big kitchen or a small kitchen, you could cook all the same. With movies, you know, you have far less tools available to you when you're making a small movie. Uh, when you make the big ones, you have, you know, computer graphics, special effects, lots of tools that you could tell stories that you haven't had before. But that requires a lot of money, and when you spend a lot of money, it requires uh, a lot of people to sign off on what you're doing. When you do a little one like this, you have a tremendous amount of freedom. And uh, it's just a different style of making movies, but uh, I was so happy to have the opportunity to do a little one. I would have done them before, but I just hadn't had an idea, and this script hit me. It's the first time since Swingers that a script hit me so quickly, and uh, I wrote it I wrote it in a matter of weeks, and, uh, and I really wanted to do something about the food world. Right. I love watching movies about food. I love watching TV shows about food, like Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, or Jiro Dreams of Sushi, and as a filmmaker showing Food, it's amazing. You could spend millions of dollars on visual effects, but you do an insert of somebody preparing food in an elegant way, it, it creates just as much impact on the screen. And I wanted to play with that. Did you feel more satisfaction this time around? Yeah. Well, you know, I had more to do with this movie than I, probably any movie I've ever done because I wrote it and then I was in it and I directed it and had all people that I've worked with before or people I wanted to work with all come together to work on it with me. We shot it in like a month. So this has expressions of who I am as a person on levels I, I probably don't even understand. And that's what comes when you have a singular vision. You know, it, It's fun to be part of a team and do something big. Uh, you can't do those big ones alone. But the little ones, you could really do something uh, unique. And it's, it's, really, uh, it's, like, it's, like doing a, it's like doing a solo versus being in an orchestra. You know, and there's, there's an excitement to that. Every once in a while, you want to be able to just play a solo. And, and I took the time to do it, and now you know, I'm very happy to dive back into the, 
the uh, established Hollywood system to work on some, some bigger ones, but, but this one was really freeing to me and, and uplifting. Like when you see the final product with this one and you're thinking, man, we, we, we pulled this off, what's the difference between that feeling and, like, like you said, the orchestra feeling of a movie like the first Iron Man where it's like, we, we nailed that one? Iron Man, what's, what's fun is you're part of a team, and, you know, and not only was it a big step for me, but it was a big step for Robert, and we got to share that experience, and then we got to go around the world together, and we were all so, part of something bigger than we were. And for Marvel, it was a big deal because it was their first movie. And everything could have gone south if that movie didn't turn out well. So there was a lot on the line. So it was like when you go to Vegas and you, got, and you put a lot of money on one hand and that, and that card comes through. There's an excitement like you're a gambler that won. But you're winning as a team. And so the good part about that is that you feel like you've all shared in the responsibility. But it feels like the team won. You didn't win. When you do something small like this, it's much more like you're, you're an individual going out there into the world. And although I had a great team of people, it was a smaller team, and a lot of the responsibility fell on my shoulders. So there's not a lot to hide behind, and everything good and everything bad that comes out of it, you, you take much more personally. As a filmmaker, do, do you want that feeling of, like, I won, like, like you just said? Like, you want to feel that you won? Sometimes you want to know that you still have the chops to do something like this. And when I started off, I was doing, you know... With, Swingers was made before... When I wrote it, I didn't know I was going to make it into a movie. I just thought I was writing a script. And so slowly I've gotten... I've worked my way up to larger and larger films. And then I watch people like Louis C.K. and Lena Dunham and Larry David. And 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 part of me is really, you know... I, they look like they're having so much fun, and I'm excited by that. And, and part of me wished I was still doing that, and I, I missed it. And, and, and so to be able to do this and, and be able to make a film that I'm proud of was, was really... Uh, I wasn't sure that was going to happen, and, and now that it's done, I'm really proud of it. It's interesting you mentioned those three people because they all have projects that are based on experiences from their own lives. Could you have made this movie actually about Hollywood, or did you have to change this to food? I, I changed it, first of all, because Hollywood's just boring to make a movie about. It's not interesting to watch somebody make a movie. It's like watching somebody hack in a computer. It's just You can only show the load bar for so long before it's like, I get it. <laughs> Uh, so food is very cinematic and I wanted to play a chef to learn how to be a chef but if you really look honestly e even at Swingers or or Louie or Girls or Curb they're playing personas that they've created I've, I've hung out with with, uh, with Louis C.K. a lot and with Larry a lot it's not who they are they're, they've created something that seems to be them but they're uh, exaggerating one small aspect of who they are. Just like in Swingers, I never left all those messages on their answering machine. But part of me, but part Jesus. of me could have, you know. Part of me feels that way. And most people are a balancing act of a lot of different urges. And you know, Vince was never like Trent, but there was an aspect of him that was. And if you hang out with him, you're like, oh, I see the similarities. But really, it's a, it's a, it's an exaggeration for comedic effect. There's a great scene in this movie where he confronts the critic in in the restaurant. Um, have you ever, ever read a review where you're just like, I'd like 10 minutes with this guy? I, I don't, I honestly don't, I'm like not that guy. I, I, if the review's really awful and mean, I just don't really look at it. The ones that kind of hurt are the ones that are, that, where they like you and they're trying to like what you're doing and you, they feel disappointed. Like when your yeah. parents disappointed in you. That's the worst. When they're angry, you could close them off. But, but when they, when they just expected more, then you really feel kind of 
uh, that, that's the one that, that it's tough to sleep at night. But I've never been angry. I always get sad, you know, if, at, at worst. Or, or humored. I mean, the worst review I ever had was on the movie Made, and I framed it, and I put it up in my bathroom, and I looked at it every day when I went to the bathroom, and it just it was just ripped. It was just a hatchet piece, but it was so, it was done with such relish that I enjoyed it. it it's, it's interesting. It doesn't feel, I don't tend to take those things personally, especially now with social networking. You could find somebody who loves you or somebody that hates you. You just click, you know, a few, a few keystrokes, and you could, you could go down a rabbit hole way far. Your character, Carl, does do that with Twitter. You, you have a Twitter account, but I feel like you've been fairly careful about uh, things you've said. You have, you, you have a great Twitter account, but you, you, you're, you're not going after critics on it. No, I'm an early adopter. I, I understand that you don't tweet mad. If you're doing something that you think you might not want to tweet out, they have a save function, by the way. So just save your tweet and look at it in an hour, and if you still feel the same way, then hit it. So I've... I've writing seen a, that down, by I've the way. seen a lot Thank of people you. come and a lot of people go, uh, but I've always been smart about it. Um, I like social media. I think it's cool, especially for a movie like this. It's been very helpful so far, as people have seen it in festivals like Tribeca and South by Southwest. The word's starting to spread, and for a little movie like this, you know, competing up against the big boys this summer, in May, that's when the superhero movies come out, and Godzilla and things. So it requires, like, people who really care about it to to be active uh, in social networking. And I think that you've seen trends change. Used to be that a movie came out on a Friday and based on the New York afternoon box office, you could tell the total take of that movie within about 10% by Sunday night. You could predict all of that. That's all changed because people get online and they say if a movie's great or if it sucks and you see the curve trend even within the first weekend. So I think really people's voices are getting louder because of the technology and it just demands that you do better work. I've heard you say in, in the press store for, for this movie that you're pretty much the one-man marketing machine for it. How, how has that changed since something like Swingers were made for you other than you're more famous now? I mean, how, how would you market a film then compared to now with an indie film? A film then, you would, you know, you'd, you'd tap into their marketing department they would figure out how much money they're going to spend. They'd cut some commercials that tested as well as they could, regardless of whether or not they were indicative of the film. And they would, they would just throw, you know, it was like the way they used to fight pre-Revolutionary War. The Redcoats would all line up, they'd march, they'd shoot, and they'd get mowed down by the bigger army. Uh, now everything's asymmetric. Now if you're clever, you can get the word out alone. And you could do interesting, you could do... There's a million ways to get out to the public. You could, you know, through podcasts, through festivals, um, through engaging, through, uh, you know, doing an AMA on Reddit. There's a million ways if you have the wherewithal, you can get to the audience that will like what you're doing and they will seek you out. And you could actually develop a personal connection. It's not unlike the, the movie. The guy works at a big restaurant, but then he quits and his kid starts tweeting about, about the food that they're doing and the word of mouth is spreading and next thing you know, lines are out the door. So something small like a food truck or a comedy act or a band at a club, you could, you could actually change, careers have changed through social networking. And like Kevin Hart's a big star now in the movies and television and on stage. That was all through creating a database and through social networking. He was not part of the system. 
So if you're clever and you're smart and you're diligent and you work hard, you could actually build up a database and build up a, a fan base and a following through engaging directly and speaking directly to the people who like what you have to say. I, uh, I made the mistake of uh, seeing this movie on an empty stomach. Uh, <laughs> It, 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 it was, it was, as far as uh, uh, longing for food, it was torture. Um, uh, not, uh, but uh, um, the food looks great. You look like you know what you're doing. Yeah, I really trained for a long time. And part of what's fun about what I do and part of the reason I want to do this is I've always enjoyed watching chefs. And when you say you're going to do a movie about something, <coughs> you have access to some of the best, most talented people in the world who will help you make the movie. In this case, that was Roy Choi, who has the Kogi, uh, the Kogi taco truck in, in Los Angeles, and one of the early adopters of Twitter, and, and the first real food truck success story of the kind of a new wave of social media tied in food trucks. And uh, he taught me what it was like to experience being part of a successful movement like that. But he also sent me through very traditional French training and then had me work in his kitchens and I was working the line with him for a few months. And uh, I got to learn as an actor uh, about food culture. He said he'd help me as much as I wanted, but I had to get it right. And so many Hollywood films do not get it right. They don't depict the kitchen accurately. What's, what's the, what would be the big difference? What, what, what do they do wrong that you got right? Well, they're usually PG-13 movies and you know, I, 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 I met David Chang uh, through, through Roy, and we were talking about it. He was like, kitchens are not PG places. There are. <laughs> there, there's rough language. If you read Kitchen Confidential, you'll see. It's like the deck of a pirate ship, you know, and that's what's romantic and cool about it. But they're food nerds, so they're like really gruff characters, but they really care intimately of how the food comes out and that ultimately whoever they're serving the food to is satisfied. That's where their happiness comes from. So I was just getting insight into the way they think, and then plus I had to get the technique down to look like I knew what I was doing. And that's everything from how, you've, how you season a dish to how you fold your towel, to the burn marks on your arm, to what's on your tattoos, to how, how clean and pressed your whites are. And everything means something to a chef. And I wanted, just like with the Iron Man movie, I wanted the fans to, that, I felt that was my base audience, and you could work your way out from a core audience that sees that you really care about the world, especially the people who are already a part of that, the people who are reading Iron Man comics for 40 years. When they liked who we cast as Tony Stark, when they liked how we depicted Iron Man, when they caught all the little Easter eggs we put in there, that audience spread and built out from Comic-Con, which was a very uh, active audience in social media. And I feel like in this, there's the food community is equally as, as uh, diligent and equally as concerned with accuracy and so by working closely with the chefs, I figure you make the chefs happy and the foodies happy. And I know the comedy is going to be in the style that I've done and the storytelling will be up to snuff. Hopefully it'll spread out and, uh, and people will, will check it out and look for it. I know they'll find it eventually, but hopefully I'll find it when it's in the theaters, you know? Um. I, I feel too like n not that you've been um, out of or not doing movies like acting in a while, but like I feel this is like your biggest role acting in a yeah, while. Yeah, this is. Did, did you like? Did you? Did, did, it, did it feel good to be the the main character again? I, I thought I was going to stop acting. Honestly, um, I was having a good time making movies, and I love the. An There's so much animation required now in visual effects, and I love animation and supervising that. Uh, I was very happy to be in a support capacity behind the camera, but. 
you know, this, this script hit me and I wrote it, as I said, in a, in a very short time. And when something comes to you so fully formed, you know that's something you should pursue, you know? And it, the last time something hit me like that was almost 20 years ago. And, and I want to see if I, still had, if I still had it in me at my age. And whereas Swingers is a story about a guy starting in his career, trying to meet a girl, this is about somebody who's lost his way, lost his vision, lost his passion, hasn't, hasn't really spent enough time, as many chefs don't, with his kids, and everything's falling apart, and he's broken, and he has to figure out a way to fix himself. And, and, and not that I, I don't enjoy watching Paul Rudd vomit on your face, which was on TV the other night, and I love you, man. But I forgot how much I enjoy watching you as an actor. Like, you, 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 I think of you as director John Favreau now instead of actor, so it was really great watching you again. Does Thank that, does you. That, do, do you want to do do continue acting? Well, more it was my first more? love, you yeah. know? And, I mean, the funny thing about Paul Rudd vomiting on my face and I love you, man, was that, was the, that I was filming that the weekend that Iron Man 1 opened. So here I was, my movie made like almost $100 million, and there I was, number six on the call sheet, getting Italian wedding soup spewed all over me. And I had a hernia at the time, too, that I didn't want to own up to because I didn't want to stop production. So there I was with a hernia belt covered with artificial vomit from Paul Rudd. And it was that humility that I think kept me balanced and humble. Uh, but I, 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 love, I love acting, you know? And I got to work with, with uh, Marty Scorsese on, um, on Wolf of Wall Street, and that's been a lifelong dream of mine. And I love to watch other directors, because you learn so much. My whole apprenticeship in, in, in directing has been through acting. You know, most directors, you go to film school, you try to figure out, you watch documentaries, you study up, you make short films. Uh, but in the case of, of, of me, I was an actor, so I actually got to be... Uh, an apprentice to the directors that I worked for as an actor, and I could ask them any questions, and I could model myself after the people that I, that I respected and revered. So I love acting because it m makes me a better director, first of all, but second of all, there's, you know, at, at the bottom line is I started off as a kid who liked to be on stage, who liked to get a laugh, and I liked, I liked performing. And as I get a thrill out of it, it's like gambling. You could, they could hate you, they could love you, but it's exciting and exhilarating. So I hope to do it, but Again, it's, you know, I, I, I only want to do things I'm excited about. I, I feel we're overdue for a clip, so we should do that. Oh, okay, good. Hey, Mom. Where are you? I'm in Austin. Are you okay? I'm great. How's your daddy? Here, talk to him. Hi, Nez. Hi, do you want me to come pick him up? No, you're a thousand miles away. It's okay, I can go get on a plane and, and, and pick him up. No, it's fine, he's I doing great. I him, I want you to come home, I love him. He's fine, he's got a couple of burns and two stitches from a parry knife. Please, I'm serious, let me go and pick him up. You know you're such a cook now? I'm a line cook. He's a line cook. Be careful. I'll have him home in time for school. It looks here like you guys are having so much fun. All right, give me one second. Do you know your son could work a grill? I had beer. What is that? He says he misses you. I tell him I love him. You mentioned uh, the tattoos you have in this movie. Um, is that is that how does that relate to food culture? And 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 they looked they looked intense. Like at, at one point, I'm thinking, are those real? Yeah, they were pretty good. Uh, and of course, every single one of them, I not only picked out specifically and did research of what was part of that, because everything, you know, it's almost, it's a clan. You know, the, the cooking 
the cooking community is a clan, and just like you know, uh, people in jail each tattoo, you know, like Russian prisoners, like Mickey Rourke in Iron Man Two had all those Russian prison tattoos on. Each one tells a story, and and you could, you know, chefs are all wearing the same whites. They're all wearing a uniform, so their individual individuality comes out through their ink on their skin or the type of glasses they wear, the haircut, you know, because there's a lot of personality to them, but you can't express it through what you're wearing. So I, you know, and I went through it with, with, with Roy Choi, who also has got sleeves, the, the, the chef that, that worked on the film, inside so a big old koi fish yeah. sliced up like a sushi, uh, uh, sliced up like sushi on one arm. I had the California bear. I had the big old chef knife on my forearm. And, uh, you know, just a lot of different things. And El Jefe on my knuckles. And then we had burns on my forearms. I felt pretty badass walking around like that. I got used to them because you don't take them off, you know, because it takes a couple hours to put them on. So if you can make them last a week, you save a lot of time in the chair. And I found myself wearing short sleeves a lot and not really telling people they were fake. <laughs> um. I, I, I'd be remiss if I did not bring this up because it, 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 the 20th anniversary of this movie is happening on this Tuesday. I don't know how many people remember PCU, but it's been 20 years since John Favreau. One guy, yeah, thank you. Uh, what are your memories of that movie? Because we, we, did, we didn't know you very well then, and here comes Gutter. That was, you know, look, my favorite movie growing up was Animal House, and, uh, and that was a bit of an, you know, homage, knockoff, um, pale copy I don't know what you call it but the I doing a frat house type comedy was like a dream as a young actor and to play a crazy dumb guy like gutter was I just knew I could rip it up and have a great time and there we were we were shooting in Toronto there I was at the start of my career and like Chris Rock says he says when you start off you love going out of town because you get to stay in a nice hotel with nice stuff and everything's, it's like a dream come true. You got per diem. As you get older and your stuff at your house gets nicer, you don't want to leave as much. And, and until finally your house is nicer than the hotel. Well, back then, the hotel was far better than the futon I was sleeping on in my flea-infested uh, apartment in Hollywood. And so going out of town, and, and when you're an actor, you get days off. And next thing you know, you're hanging out with all the other actors who are excited to be there. And it's like paid vacation. And we had so much fun. And... Uh, Work with a lot of good actors there. First time I worked with Jeremy Piven. Yeah. And Hart Bachner directed it. And, uh, and you know, it's a movie that, you know, thanks to video and thanks to, uh, you know, iTunes, people are, people are checking it out and still seeing it. And I still, get, every once in a while, get people shouting out to me or posting a clip on, uh, on Twitter. But I'm proud of it. It's part of what made me who I am today. Uh, I think we're going to head to the Q&A now. Hi, John. My name is Evan. Uh, what is your experience like in the Iron Man movies? You know, by the time I was on the set of Iron Man 3, it was a much different experience because it already had been a very successful franchise and Avengers had happened. And it was amazing seeing how things changed over the course of those few films because with the first Iron Man film, it was a fairly modestly budgeted film. It was a negative pickup. It was really like an independent film. And, uh, and we... We got through it, I think, primarily on good casting and, and really strong visual effects and a good tone and sense of humor. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to be continuing my relationship with Marvel. Uh, right now they're shooting Avengers 2. Uh, I was, I'm happy to report that I was part of... Uh, I was, a, I was a, a, a supportive voice in helping Robert get on Twitter, and now he's been tweeting pictures from the set of Avengers. So uh, that's exciting. Uh, and... 
And uh, we've all become very good friends through the process. So as a result of this uh, experience now, have you uh, figured out your favorite chefs worldwide and are you traveling around to see them? And will you be managing uh, to make suggestions in the future for craft services or a uh, cooking show? Yeah, well, as far as the cooking show goes, I, I dabbled in a, a show called Dinner for Five years ago. And uh, I love, always love, and that show came from loving food, but more so loving the company of, like remembering when I've been out of town, like, like in Toronto, we're talking about PCU, you'd get together with all the people that you're working with and there'd be another movie in town and then you'd get together for dinner and just swap war stories. And now I'm getting more into the food aspect of it. I've been meeting chefs through the chef that I trained with and I've gotten to know David Chang pretty well, Tom Colicchio, uh, I was a, a, get, uh, a guest judge on, on Top Chef, and it's a tight community, and I'm, I'm happy to report it's people who really care, and they're very generous to one another, and they're very sharing in the ideas, and um, now that the movie's over, the bug's still, you know, I'm still bit by the bug, and I'm still continuing my training, and uh, it's a really good midlife crisis hobby to, <laughs> to do, and I'm putting a whole commercial kitchen in my house, put in a wok ring and a wood-burning pizza oven and a big old 10-burner flat top and stainless steel ripping the cabinets out. And it's just, it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. Um, and I mean, I think <coughs> it, 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 when you see the film, it, it's a really a small fraction of what the experience of making the movie was like. I work with Jeff Bridges uh, on Iron Man, and I remember going into his trailer. He invited uh, me, myself and Kevin Feige in and his, after rap, his stand-in was shaking martinis, and we're having a drink, and we're talking about the day's work, and he said, you know, man, he said, the, the movie, that's just the skin of the snake. This is the real deal. And it's true, and I've grown to find what he said. There's a lot of wisdom in that. It's the experience of making it. And when you look at the movie, it's fun because it reminds you of it, and it's a way for other people to experience it, but it's collaborating with those people. And in this case, I was working with great chefs, and, uh, and they pass information and knowledge along to me. And uh, as I get older, I just love to learn more. It's like I don't know why I was wasting my time in college then. I could, I would, I'm so hungry for information now. And I, and I enjoy it so much. Uh, and crafty, we didn't, on this movie, we didn't need a lot of craft services because everybody was full from the food that the chef was making on the set. Uh, but I definitely will, uh, I like cooking meals and we like to cook family meals together. We were doing the sound mix up at Skywalker because I knew the sound had to be right, because I wanted people's mouths to be watering in this movie, and you can't taste a movie, you know, you can't smell it, you can only see it and hear it. And so I used some favors and got the sound designers who worked on Iron Man to work on this. And we'd be so hungry from being in the mixing stage all day that we would go back to, the, there's a big commercial kitchen at the bunkhouse where you stay at the Skywalker Ranch, and of course, after hours, there's no more food we would buy all the groceries and cook everything that was in the movie every night, and we would eat like kings, and that was a lot of fun. Hey, John, how's it going? Uh, I got two separate questions. So one, what is it like to direct and star in something? What are the challenges? And then my second question is, do you think you could have played a better Iron Man than Robert Downey Jr.? Could I have played a better Iron Man? I could have played a different Iron Man. Uh, <laughs> I actually did play Iron Man in Iron Man 1, um, we did some motion capture uh, when he first breaks out of the cave in the Mark I and he's smashing people and flailing his limbs around. I would try to direct the stunt guys how to do it and then finally they stuck me in the ping pong suit. 
So somewhere there's a picture of me in, in a skin-tight gray outfit with ping-pong balls stuck to me, swinging my arms around like Iron Man. And as soon, when he breaks through the door and he, and, he, and he smashes his way through and stands up and there's the big push-in reveal, that's me. So next time you look at it, I was Iron Man for a moment. Um, and Happy Hogan's put on the Iron Man suit in the comic books. Hopefully that'll happen someday. Uh, it seems everybody else got to wear the suit in Iron Man 3 except me. So hopefully I'll get to wear that thing. Or turn into the freak, for those of you who go really deep in comic book geekdom, maybe some of you listening to the podcast. Uh, and the other part of the question was, uh, was what's the, it like it to was direct? The challenges of uh, directing and acting. When you're directing as a supporting role, like Happy Hogan, it was really tough because I really had to be there for, for Robert and for Gwyneth, and I had to help them with their scene, and I was just a supporting player, so it was actually very distracting. And if you look at Iron Man 1 and 2, where I'm worrying about all that, you can see my performance is kind of, you know, uh, not, that, not that exciting. But in Iron Man 3, when I didn't have to worry about any of that, I had a lot of fun messing around. On a movie like Chef, where I'm the lead, you actually use your acting to help direct, especially when you're working like with MJ Anthony, who plays my 10-year-old son, because you're right there in the scene with him, and you could really help pull a performance out. And I leave a lot of room for improv. And, and, and being the writer, I could really guide the scene if I want to change some things or try things. I use multiple cameras. So on a small movie like this, it's a very helpful tool. On the big ones, it's kind of distracting, to be honest with you. Uh, hi, John. I had the pleasure of seeing the film last night. Oh, good, at the festival? And it was wonderful. Thank you. Um, this, this, the role of the music, I mean, it's, it's almost an equal character to the food. And I was wondering if you could talk about the musical choices. And like, I don't know. There's, there's two bands in it. One's the Cuban band, but the other one, like where you found them, sure. they seem to capture people's passion. No, I take a lot of pride in, in the music in the, in the films that I use, and I think it helps define it. In the small ones, certainly swingers, but, but even if you think about like uh, Iron Man opening up with ACDC, like that was a bold, different choice for a comic book movie. People went, tend to go with score. And I think that the choices that you make uh, really help create a context for people to watch a film. In the case of this, since the last film I've done, I've really, I, I, I like to, you know, I have a, it's a bit of a hobby of mine, a DJ. That's one of my, another one of my midlife crisis hobbies. And, uh, and I, I. And which you've done at Comic-Con. I've done at Comic-Con, right? I do it secretly sometimes. I'll pop in. And I like to, I like to, I like to surprise people. And I'm a pretty good DJ. I, I had learned, I was working on Iron Man 2 with, with uh, DJ AM, and he, he helped teach me, show me the ropes, and set me up. Um, and I've continued to learn since then. But when I do a movie, I try to bring that DJ sensibility. And I actually partnered up with a guy named Matthew Schreier, who's also a DJ who'd never done movies before, and really make it feel like a DJ set. And, uh, and we found fun, obscure, cool music that, that, that complements what's happening in the film. And food and music are so closely tied together that, again, you can't taste a movie, but, but the music could help create a context. And it gives it, yeah, it gives it flavor. And so there's great Cuban music to go with the Cuban food. And when they're in New Orleans, you got some great New Orleans jazz. And I've always loved horns. You know, and Cuban music and New Orleans jazz all has horns. And even back to swingers, I've loved like a, a fat horn section. It just gets me, it just makes me, it's just exhilarating. And, 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 and to be able to have that and blast that through the speakers uh, uh, when you're showing a movie, just, I think it just gets everybody, you know, on the same page emotionally. And, and there's going to be a soundtrack, too, by the way. Look out for it uh, coming out when the, movie, when the movie drops. That's what the kids say, right? When the movie drops, know, the soundtrack will drop. 
It's going to drop. We'll go with drop. We're going to go when good. it drops. Look out for when the soundtrack drops. Hi, John. Um, I'm from Austin, Texas, so I was wondering um, how long did you actually spend filming in Austin, and do you have any favorite restaurants that you were able to visit while you were there? We were in Austin for exactly one day, and uh, it was our last day of filming, and it's where the movie resolves as they're going through their road trip. And my thing is what, you know, the dad and the son are traveling, and the, and the, and the kid's learning about food and about America and about music through this trip, and I just picked the coolest cities he could go to. They go to Little Havana, and they hear uh, Cuban music and eat, eat Cuban sandwiches. They go, to, um, they go to New Orleans, and they eat beignets, and they're in the Marigny, and, and then they're in, in Austin, and they're hearing Gary Clark Jr., and they're eating, you know, they're eating barbecue brisket Texas style. And uh, it probably was the best meal of the whole show, going to Franklin Barbecue. And I uh, got to... Aaron Franklin's in the movie. We show up there. And, uh, and of course, now I know him, so now I'm trying to cook brisket on my own. And they cook brisket for like 14 hours. I don't know how this guy does it. There's three ingredients. There's brisket, there's salt, and there's pepper, and that's it. And he's just cooking that thing all night, just feeding Texas hardwood into that smoker. And it's the most amazing flavor. And, and I tell you, you see, the, you know, we, we got to film it. We got, you know, the hardest thing was to get him to save four briskets for us to film with. Because that's the place where the lines are around the block and people wait, you know, for hours and hours waiting for it to open. It sells out lunchtime every day. Uh, so it's really been, again, I'm 47. To be able to travel to these places, learn from these people, experience these things when you're at the point in your life when, you, when you're kind of falling into a routine generally, I feel very fortunate to have the career I do to help me learn these new things, experience these new things, take on these new hobbies. And it really helps inform my voice as a storyteller. And I could tell, and it's nice to tell stories like this. You know, the big movies are all about escapism and, the, and, and they're fun to do. But it's nice to have the opportunity to do something that really talks about life. And that size movie is disappearing because of the economics of the film business. They just don't green light those movies anymore. So either you gotta do them really small or really big, uh, or TV, you know, or on cable. A lot of good stories are taking place on television right now. I love, I mean, I'm up all night with my DVR on a Sunday watching the great shows that they have. Uh, but to have the opportunity to make something for the big screen like this where people could laugh together and feel emotion and have something that comments on real life is a, is a luxury, and I don't know if, if that opportunity is going to be around forever, so I'm happy to have the opportunity to do this. Hi, John. Um, first, I just want to say that you're by far my most favorite writer-director. And Thank I'm you. just thankful that I got down here because um, I was in Times Square a second ago. And my question is, when it comes to writing your scripts, do you have an idea of who you're going to put into the roles, or do you kind of picture it when the script is done? And then after you, you do fill the roles, how much room do you leave for improv? Oh, good question. Well, thank you for the compliment, first of all. Um, it, when, I, when I wrote Swingers, I just used people from my life. And then I figured out that, oh, everybody's just going to think I'm writing a true story about my life. And there wasn't a lot of anonymity in that. Uh, so when I wrote Chef, it was this was more uh, trying to create a, a cast of characters and I didn't know who was going to play them. I knew that kitchen culture was primarily Latino and I wanted to be authentic to that. 
And so uh, I knew, you know, I wanted people who could feel like they might have been from Miami and Cuban. That was my fantasy, that this guy had come from Miami, moved to California. He had made a big splash in Miami when he was adventurous and young, and it was a, it was a food and wine best new chef, and now he spent 10 years cooking safe food in Brentwood. And, and then he finally gets called on it by a critic. And it, it leads to him ruining his life through social media. So I, I wanted to get a cast of characters in that world that felt authentic to that. And, and so although I hadn't thought about who I was writing when I wrote The Voices, pretty quickly I identified who I wanted. And Sophia Vergara was the only woman that could play this strong ex-wife of his that would be both beautiful and intimidating uh, and smart. And, and, then, and then John Leguizamo uh, really is, a very, is the hardest working actor in show business. I mean, he was working here in New York, training for the role and wanting to look like he knew how to be a line cook. And Bobby Cannavale I've been wanting to work with forever, forever. And the kid we found through auditioning. And then I got lucky with people like Dustin Hoffman, who wanted to do it. Oliver Platt, I reached out to, and and of course, uh, you know, Scarlett and, and Robert, I knew through the Iron Man movies. So the cast came together uh, rather easily, uh, especially considering how much I required and and how little money I had. So, uh, and then as far as improv goes, when you got a cast like that, you give them room. And I had just, as I said, worked with Martin Scorsese, and I was amazed at how much freedom he gives his actors because he trusts his casting. And as long as they understand what the scene's about and it doesn't go off, doesn't go aground or turn into something else or become indulgent, I always let people put it in their own words. And a lot of times they were improvising in Spanish. I didn't even know what they were saying. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't until I was in the editing room. I brought somebody in and said, what the hell are you saying? It's, it gets a laugh in the screening. I don't know what it is. Uh, and, but I like that. And I didn't put subtitles in either, you'll see. So if you don't speak Spanish, you're going to miss some of the movie. You're going to miss some of the movie. But that's how it is working in the kitchen, too. So anyway, well, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, the thoughtful questions. <laughs>